Welcome, listeners, to the 36th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhards. With me, as always, are Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström, both of the mighty wizards. The very best of welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. What's up, everybody? Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck app. In today's episode, we will discuss the paper play of the week, as per usual. After that, we will look at the soon-to-be-released Magic the Gathering set Kamigawa Neon Dynasty and see if there are any cards we look forward to putting in the decks that we currently have or indeed if there are cards in this coming set that we want to build decks around. Who knows? But first up, Paper Play. Robin, you did some local game store play this week. Tell us all about it, please. All right. Yeah, I went to the local game store. I brought uh, the depth deck and the eight cost deck, but uh, eventually settled for the eight cost deck for this tournament. And uh, I'll make a quick run through the deck list. So the threats is uh, four Emery, four Psy, and four Ursa Saga. And then there's the thought casts and the thought monitors, eight draw spells, four chalices, four force of wills, and two fire and ice. And that's my are my flex slots. And I've been brewing a little bit about like playing some sort of haymaker there, but I'm back on fire ice. Uh, very flexible, good card that also pitches to fall. And then. Seven baubles, that's four Ursas and three Mishras bauble. And uh, the one-offs, one Shadow Spear, one Retrofitter Foundry, one Piffing Needle, one Soul Guide Lantern. And then there's the mana base of four Seat of the Cyanod, four Mox Opal, three Silver Bluff Bridge, three Ancient Tomb, three Lotus Petal, and two Volcanic Islands. And a terrifying sideboard for combo players. Three Force of Negation, two Fluster Storm, two Giroper Ethergrid, two Torpor Orb, two Abrade, one Gra- Graft Digger's Cage, one Ed the Spell Bomb, one Engineer Explosive, and one Court of Cunning. So that's what I brought, and uh, I immediately got paired against the worst matchup in the room, which was like a Hull Breacher Days Undoing deck. I call that deck 8 Breacher because it sort of <laughs> mirrors the 8 cast in, in its tactics. That deck is, is pre-boarded to beat all your draw spells with Narsets and Breachers, and uh, it's a blue-white-red deck, so I mean it has quite interactive cards in the main deck, and after the board there's Blood Moons, there's Meltdowns, I think he was even playing Nalrod, uh, so it was quite hateful, and I lost two Swift games with not much to say about it. But then I got paired against another eight deck, eight racks, which is a bunch of discard and things that kill people that don't have a good hand. But uh, I mean, I draw a lot of cards and I can also, I I can dodge discard very well since my win cons is Ursa and I'm really fast down on the, the battlefield. So two pretty easy wins there. And then I faced against Infect. And similarly, I could present blockers and threats much faster than he could. Finally, I faced against black and green depths and also was able to win 2-0. So it was quite a clean sweep except for the first match where I just got overrun. And that was the legacy play for me, a 3-1. Yeah, that sounds pretty solid. The the 8 breacher matchup sounds like super terrifying. To yep. play against it's a it's a nasty one i've seen a lot of really good sideboard tech also like the meltdowns and stuff like that it's just super nasty did did a version that you played against uh, did it play the snapcasters or mentors as uh, mentors like, you know? all right yeah that's 
That's pretty rough too. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough too because like the the fire and ice won't really do it. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly problematic, eh? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Christopher, what about your week? You got some uh, Discord play done, I believe. How did that go for you? Yes, I I felt the uh, the Doomsday deck calling to me, so I sleeved up the latest trend, which was the build with malevolent hermits and uh, you know bringing back those sweet baleful strixes but then also the full playset of murktide regents which i had i have tried murktides in the sideboard but it's just extremely crazy to put a full playset in a combo deck and uh, i've seen some like really good memes running around with like yeah this is Finally, like uh, Miracles has a good matchup against uh, D&T now because some people have been moving towards uh, Temporal Mastery, <laughs> which is like the Miracle Time Walk and stuff like that. But it's it's been extremely fun. And I did play the matchup quite a bit against first Infect. And that matchup felt really good, especially because normally it's like an arms race between infect and doomsday like i'm trying to shred their hand and they're trying to stop me from comboing so we're kind of using our resources to stop each other while also trying to kill the opponent but with this build you got so many extra steps to put in the way like the malevolent hermit was extremely good of just keeping me alive and ensuring that when i needed to do my thing i could and uh, it's also really sweet to put, pack like free plague engineers on Phyrexian post sideboard, especially if you can go like turn one dark ritual plague engineer with days backup. That's illegal. Yeah, that's illegal. <laughs> um, so that matchup felt really like actually really good. And the then I I also played against Grixis and once again like the the deck just felt really smooth and good. I think it was a clean sweep against the Grixis because like Discord is great but now you have all of these like haymaker things like uh, Murktide that they have to worry about also so yeah I think the deck is really interesting and uh, I'm definitely recommending people to pick it up it's it's like the only doomsday build I've ever seen that doesn't play Lionside Diamond so it's uh yeah sure it's still the full playset of underground seas which is uh, a burden to buy but yeah if you got some underground seas or if you want to like just proxy the deck and try it. It's great. Then I did also play the the normal combo build against Robin, like uh, like a few games yesterday. And first we start up with uh, Depths versus Doomsday, and those are like such fun games because we're both shredding each other's hand, trying to present lethal on the first two or three turns. And uh, there was this this sideboarded game where we both. <laughs> in turns messed each other up so bad turn one my turn one was just going dark ritual plague engineer on vampire and it it was extremely good in that matchup like in that specific like in that specific game it was super good because when when i finally won you showed me like two hex mages on your hand yeah but then you got the ultra blowout on me the game after which was uh, like mana confluence thoughtsies See my hand, which had two polluted delta, like doomsday ritual, some good stuff. And they were like, sure. And then you go petal needle on my on both of my deltas that I had in hand. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but then I did misplay a bit because you did play an Urborg. 
and I didn't play my fetches, which was a mistake because I I could have made like dark dark ritual doomsday or stuff like that. Yeah. But su- super fun games and yeah. Then I played against his eight cast and I got stomped. It was terrible. Like a chalice deck with forces that sideboards into more forces, flusters, and torpor orb is insanely bad for the deck and i think if i would have played the malevolent hermit deck i think it would have been a bit closer but i still think eight cast is very favored in that matchup so that was my paper play uh, do you have any comments on that robin how was it from your side yeah i i, I agree with your assessment there i think that the, the sideboard in eight cast is quite similar actually to the doomsday sideboard just so many like powerful answers as in Doomsday List that also can bring in Force of Negations, for instance. So, like, um, I think that maybe the Depths deck actually is a little bit outdated in the sideboard because, like, I have a lot of uh, of anti-combo cards, but they don't really match up against specifically Doomsday, which is the best combo deck. So maybe the Ley Lines should be something that shuffles the graveyard into the deck instead of just exiling. For instance, just... Some Endurances. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I'm getting strong, strong feelings that I should start to uh, play four copies of Serenity in my uh, reanimator sideboards. It just seems the correct thing to do here, listening to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... But also, I mean, wow, like Temporal Mastery making its way into an actual deck. I mean, people have been wanting to make this card work ever since it was you know essentially printed and it's been reprinted as well and has sort of hasn't done any any shining in the spotlight since the first block constructed Innistrad Pro Tour where it was uh, fantastic in the the I guess that's what the breakout tournament of Alexander Haynes his he and his friend they were sort of on this cruise ship from Canada to wherever in Europe this Pro Tour was played and they just set and tested this sort of blue-white no duels, four copies of Temporal Mastery, four copies of you know, all the miracle spells really and he won a Pro Tour and since the card's been gone until now. I love that. Do you know the, the funniest thing Victor, that you can do with Temporal Mastery in that deck? I'm gonna say no. So you resolve a Merktide and then you go Dark Ritual Doomsday and you put three Temporal Masteries on top. <laughs> and then you that's then you, amazing then you kill the opponent yeah that's uh, amazing that's extremely nasty but then like the last two cards can just be like a cycle spell or whatever into oracle yeah it doesn't matter so, like it's uh, it's pretty cool like even if they manage to kill your murktide you still have like a free time walks in a row into your combo so it's it's super nasty but uh, what about you victor COVID things got you hunkered up another week? Really? Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, not for me personally, but my uh, wife works at a clinic and she was the only nurse on deck because all of her colleagues <laughs> were done with COVID. So um, lots of busy sort of work in the family and, and just sort of didn't really have the energy to to go down or to set up some sort of late evening Discord place. It just didn't happen. And that's life, you know. I instead uh, took some time to look at spoilers for Neon Dynasty.
Wow, now time for those spoilers of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Do we have anything for legacy in this world where Akira meets Totoro meets Lone Wolf and Cub meets probably lots of other more or less overt references to Japanese pop culture? I think Christopher is the resident expert on this particular lore here so first off i'm going to ask you christopher what do you um how do you rate this set on a scale of uh zero to uh mega kawaii i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a a solid uh, in the kokoro so straight in the heart but it's um i think uh, the set like if you just look at the design of the cards it's one of the cleanest sets that I've seen in a very long time. There's a lot of room for innovation and a lot of cards are extremely fun. Like normally when we do uh, some sort of set review or like what cards do you want to brew with, like a lot of times you just really have to stretch. But here it was the opposite. We had to thin it down. Like I wrote my, like the list of cards that I wanted to talk about and it was like 10 plus and I was like, that won't cut it like that's uh, those are too many cards but i really like this set and i think a lot of the art is uh, is really interesting as well like it's it's super heavily inspired uh, by a lot of like pop culture things in from japan and uh, before we get into the uh, the cards they want to talk about it's mini game time so in this mini game there are four, no, five legendary dragons in the set of each color. I want you all to tell me which one you vibe the hardest with, solely based on the art. Okay, so based on the art solely, uh, I think for me it's uh, no discussion. It's going to be Junji, the Midnight Sky, three and two black legendary creature, dragon, spirit, flying menace. When Jinji the Midnight Sky dies, choose one. Each opponent discards two cards and loses two life, or put target non-dragon creature card from a graveyard into the battlefield under your control, you lose two life. Incidentally, if I was to sort of really try and shoehorn something into Reanimator, of course it would be this one, getting sort of sacrificing this somehow, I guess that's the hardest part, to get Crystal Brown back from your grave. Probably not legacy worthy, but I, perhaps you can sort of make some interesting shenanigans in modern with this. I don't know. Um, we'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe, perhaps in some meme Nick fit. No, but like they do play a lot of sacrifice effects. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so how about how about you, Robin? Best vibe. Just judging on the picture, I think I like the green one, Kura, the boundless guy, most. It looks like one of those uh, like never-ending uh, worm type of uh, uh, dragon. It looks really cool. I don't think it's uh, it's anywhere near as good as the black one. Flying Death Touch, when the Kura, the boundless guy, dies, choose one. Search a library for up to three land cards, reveal them, and put them into your hand. <laughs> then shuffle. Why not in, onto, the, onto the battlefield? That would have been something. And then when it dies, you can also create the XX green creature spirit token, where X is the number of lands you control. So that's going to be like a 6-6 six, six or something like that, while Victor is reanimating Grizzlebrand with his dragon. So power level-wise, quite bad, but I think the art is really cool. The art is great, actually. Good. You both, you both passed the test. Which was your favorite? My pick is actually... It was actually the the blue one 
because it gives me some uh, really strong Spirited Away vibes. In Spirited Away, there's this there's this river that became a human that can take dragon form, or not human, but like it's a the Kohaku River, and uh, it really vibes with me. It re- it gives me some really sweet Spirited Away vibes. But yeah, the the card is not playable, I think, in Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the way it's drawn as well, like it, it has, it's, it really, really borrows a lot from that character in uh, in Spirited Away, for sure. I mean, just the way that it's uh, in flight, it could be taken straight from the film. Incidentally, a very good movie. Well, all right then, let's go down uh, into the actual cards, Christopher. I'm gonna let you start off here. Yeah. So. My first pick was the card that I first freaked out about when I saw, not due to its power level, really. It is a powerful card, but it's Tesseret Betrayer of Flesh. So it's two blue-blue Planeswalker that enters with four loyalty. The plus one is a first for knowledge, which I I have played first, first for knowledge for free mana in Legacy. And this is a recursive way to just first first for knowledge the minus two is probably the least impressive ability it's just target artifact becomes a four four creature and uh, it it reminds me a lot of the uh, like blue black tesseret but they like that tesseret makes them five fives (laughs) and also digs for a lot of cards which is super interesting but the thing that I really like about this, uh, it has a, a like uh, static ability, which is the first artifact activated ability to use each turn is reduced by two in mana cost to generic, which is for me, it's, it's fine. But the last part is the most interesting, which is the emblem that it creates at minus six, which is whenever an artifact you control is tapped, you draw a card. And my eyes just became three sizes bigger and i was like so i get to draw all the cards with a basalt monolith which is extremely <laughs> sweet and i think like th- there are some really cool uh, mystic forge decks out there that go really heavy and really hard into getting a similar effect and i think this can accomplish that but you can also put it in a blue shell so you can have more protection than the deck has now and have this like one card sort of combo that does that like two turns after it has come come into play you get to first for knowledge twice and then you do this your first it digs for monoliths it's extremely sweet so i'm gonna i'm gonna brew with this for sure and put it in like some emery and side deck it's gonna look a bit like eight cast but it's gonna be uh, a bit more on the planeswalker heavy side maybe add carns to the mix and stuff like that so that's my first card the second card is uh, tamishi reality architect so it's two and a blue for a legendary moonfolk wizard which is a two free and this card i really think has a lot of brewing potential maybe not a solid you know maybe it's not like a solid game changer in the meta but it has a text that reads, whenever one or more non-creature permanents are controlled to ha- uh, are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability trigger only once each turn, but then it has the really most interesting ability, which is X and white, return a land to your hand. You return an artifact or enchantment with mana cost X or less from graveyard straight into play. 
you can only use it as a sorcery. So it's not like a, I'm immune to wasteland situation. But what it does is in a standstill deck, which I think this is the, ha- the home for, you can buy back Ursa Saga with only a, a, like one white mana. You bounce a land, you return Ursa Saga straight into play. doesn't even count as a land drop. You draw a card and then you just replay the land. You can buy back standstills with it for free mana in total and draw a card while doing it. And a lot of these uh, standstill decks, when they have stabilized, sometimes they have a bit of a, you know, it can be hard to close games, especially if something happens to your Ursa Saga, maybe they get needled or whatever. There is this super fringe corner case scenario that I'm gonna make sure happens, and I'm gonna tell you all when it happens, which is returning a shark typhoon to the battlefield. It's seven mana, but standstill plays a lot of lands. And if you end up in a draw-go situation, it's possible, I'm telling y'all. So I think this card is really sweet. It opens up for a lot of brewing potential. And uh, now we're obviously going to touch about like on the channel land a bit but i'm not going to talk about the green one Uh, i think that might be covered by someone else i'm going to talk about otawara soaring city which is the blue one so it's a legendary land that taps for blue with channel green blue discard otawara bounce an artifact enchantment creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand i love this card like mainly because of how it can play in a really sort of old-school loam Raven's Crime deck. You can bounce their best thing and Raven's Crime it out of their hand immediately. You can put some Uros in that deck, you can put some Slogurk in that deck. It's going to be a great time. So I, I, can't, I can't stress how much fun I'm going to have brewing with this with this card in that configuration. It's definitely not the strongest uh, of these like channel lands. I think it for me it ranks probably third place on the on the list. I I think the number one is apparent and we're going to hear more about that soon. And uh, the second is the black one, which is just like I think Ali a famous uh, lands player wrote that it's like an an upgraded Volrath stronghold and I think I agree with that. So the last card I want to mention is Twinshot Sniper, which is just like a really sweet four drop. And now you're thinking like four drops, you know, it's it's a lot of mana for Legacy. And sometimes it is, but it can play extremely well due to its channel ability, which is just one and a red. So the card is an artifact creature, Goblin Archer. It's a two free with reach. And when it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to any target. So you can ping players, you can ping creatures, planeswalkers. The channel is one and a red, discard it, and you get that effect as well. You shoot something for two. This can be extremely good for a painter option rather than playing crater makers and stuff like that to get rid of their nasty oof or... I don't know, like, there's also some inevitability built into it with just welders. If you're hiding behind a bridge, ping them. So I think this is a super sweet card, and I'm probably going to try it as well. Like, there are eight cards in the deck that finds it if you're playing, like, full place of recruiters. But recruiters and engineers find this card also, which is uh, extremely relevant. 
I'm I'm really looking forward to trying it a bit. So those were my my four picks from this set. What do you guys think? I mean, where to begin? I I'm gonna begin with Tesseract Betrayal of Flesh because I mean, I would like to first support everything you said. I think uh, that's probably where you want to go with this card to begin with. What I would do is, of course, try to put this in a Tesserator deck that sort of <laughs> put it in the existing blue-black Tesserator shell to just have sort of more value. I mean, as you said, thirsting for knowledge uh, on a planeswalker, sort of that deck wants to do that. And with the other Tesserator as well, you can just dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. That's what I would do to begin with. But I also agree with you that probably the card that's going to be actually... Uh, making some some ways here or the ones you mentioned is uh, Tamisha Reality Architect which I think is a card that has actually has potential to do things uh, I'm looking at as you on the standstill side but I'm also like is this a way to play a stasis deck in Legacy I'm going to leave that for other brewers to to find out but that's where my mind goes wow I I love stasis <laughs> I hadn't <laughs> even th- thought about it <laughs> Well, if this is a stasis enabler, then I'm all aboard. I'm I'm not really sure about these cards. I think maybe the the goblin sniper in the, in the painter is reasonable. I don't really see the other cards seeing so much play. Maybe the bounce spell. I'm not sure since it's so flexible and so like effortless to just put in the deck because. When it's bad, it's still a land that taps for blue. It doesn't come into play tapped or anything. It's so so cheap to just put it in the deck. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Very interesting set for sure. Shall I go through mine? I will start with a boring one. <laughs> Buseju who endures. A legendary land. Taps for green. Doesn't enter tapped or anything. You can channel it for one and a green and discard it. To destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. And that player may sacrifice the... Uh, search the library for a land. Card with a basic land type. Put it onto the battlefield and shuffle. And this ability then costs less for each legendary creature you control. So I think this is the card that has been talked about most when it comes to the spoilers. And it goes uh, into... A lot of decks, but mainly the land-based decks, of course. This is uh, very strong with Life from the Loam, and it's very strong with Sylvan Scrying. And uh, it probably will replace some of the cards that is used to destroy artifacts and enchantments today. Cards like Force of Vigor, I think you will probably go down at least one Force of Vigor in the board and play this card in the main deck in land-based decks. So this one will probably see play and some people have been talking about playing more than one of this card. And I guess like the cost is so low so I can see why that would happen. You want to add anything about Poseidio? I want to add perhaps that it could perhaps ask the number one famous land Ursa Saga of last year. I think this is a card that if it proves to be this good, it can probably find its way into a lot of different decks. And uh, I mean, we're all really happy that green finally gets something. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, green green needs a buff. No, but <laughs> there, there are some things that are super interesting about this card. And the fact that it uh, doesn't care about Trinosphere effects, it's uncounterable. So... If you're playing against a, a Delver deck or a, an Eighth Breacher and they have boarded in Blood Moons, like this is gonna get it. It's it's gonna get it. Like I hope you're not packing Stifles or something like that. Like 
it can destroy a standstill, which is in play. It can just do a lot of nasty things. It's an uncounterable way to just destroy depths when they're trying to combo. Uh, there are so many things like a lot of uh, like Lance doesn't really rely on on merit as much anymore because it has so many tools and angles with Saga and Valakut Exploration. But like if you have to go for the merit, you can destroy your Caracas. There are, there are a lot of things that this card can do. And the recursiveness of it is just super sweet. So I, this is this is definitely going to show up. One thing that I like about it is the the little drawback. Uh, I like how they made it so it doesn't only fetch basic lands, but lands with a basic land type. So it also fetches the duels, and that makes it a little bit bigger drawback than uh, cards like Ghost Quarter or Assassin's Trophy. Yeah, like I- imagine if you could. Uh like busaju people out of games like if it wouldn't have been non-basic land that you can target with it and they only get to fetch basics if it would have been like that like this card would have (laughs) been yeeted out of the format i think pretty quickly because i think uh, this this is a real buff to lands and to certain builds of maybe slow depths or stuff like that so it's, it's extremely cool to see. I do like lands that are more than they appear to be. I'm definitely playing one of these in Turbo Depths as well. I have this flex plot that I've been playing Javi Maya in, and this one taps for green, <laughs> just like Javi Maya, and is such an easy inclusion. And in that particular deck, it's really cool that you can fetch it with Sylvan Scrying and get it to the hand and cast it. So yeah, chef's kiss on that card. Yeah, I'm going to try and put a copy in my Nickfit sideboard, as long as I play the Living Wish build, because this can yeah, also get like, you know, main deck, uh, first uh, first game, weird uh, enchantments, artifacts that will will uh, stop what Nekfit is doing. You can sort of just find them as long as your opponent isn't wise enough to counter the Cunning Wish. Uh, and that, that part, that, that it's uncounterable, I think that is going to be interesting in many formats, like not just Legacy. I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens in Control Mirrors in Standard with this card. But uh, from a sort of pure science perspective, I'm probably not going to have time to actually get into that. But uh, I think it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people... Uh, just talk about the uh, because because green bazaar decks in vintage is a real thing and uh, like a lot of really tricky matchups uh, I'm, I'm not a vintage player but i can really imagine that the trinisphere would mess you up really bad if you're trying to do maybe some rootwala hollow wine or one shenanigans but this card just gets rid of that too for two mana always and uh, I don't think they play basics or like any colored like basic land type thing. So it's uh, <laughs> it's just a vindicate. next card has also been discussed a little bit. It has been called the Artifact Dig Through Time, and I'm talking about Reality Heist. It's blue, blue, and five colorless. It's an instant, and it costs one uh, colorless less to cast for each artifact that you control. You look at the top seven cards of your library, 
and you may reveal up to two artifact cards from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So, like, this is goes into an artifact deck, obviously, because uh, it doesn't have delve. It has, uh, like, cost-reducing with... Affinity, yeah, like affinity for artifact-esque. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't use that specific word, but it is that exact ability right so 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 it's a little bit easier to to like uh, chain these cards after one another since you don't like use up the resource in the same way that dig through time does but of course it's a drawback that you can only find artifacts with it so like this has been talked a lot about uh, to put in uh, decks like eight cast for instance but i can see it coming into other artifact decks as well. And I actually think that, uh, like, if w when you think about 8-cast, of course it's an artifact deck, but your best cards are not artifacts. Uh, like, it's, it's the blue cards that uh, synergizes with artifacts that you really want to dig for. So I'm not really sure that you want to find a petal and a bauble uh, for two blue mana. I, I'm not really sure if that's what you're in for. So I think this might be better in a deck that actually wants to dig for artifacts, such as a blue-based painter deck or some other sort of combo deck that is uh, artifact-based and blue-based. What do you think? Yeah, maybe maybe straight up Tesserator like uh, Victor was talking about earlier. You know, uh, a lot of those uh, variants play um, Fopter sword combo. And this is a really nice way to just dig for the second piece you're missing or uh, stuff like that, like digging for ensnaring bridges and just things to hide behind. So it's, it's super sweet for sure. And I think that might, that might be a better shell. Like you mentioned, uh, the dream with this in eight cast is to end of turn hit like two thought monitors and it's, it's cool, but you're using one card to get two cards, which gets four cards which sounds ideal in a deck like that. But if you're looking at some of the trickier matchups that you have, like the, the Eighth Breacher, a card like this, you can dig for some stuff, but it might be it might be the wrong shell for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the same. Like this card, does it really solve any sort of current problems for artifact decks? I mean, of course, drawing cards while looking at many cards is, is an alluring thing to i mean any deck really but i think if you look at specifically eight cast which is uh, i mean the artifact deck prime currently that's a deck that in my understanding i'm asking you here robin who plays the deck way more than i do uh, which is nothing uh you, you want to interact a lot more with your graveyard and your battlefield rather than sort of looking at like digging because these the the uh, the the, the the dug cards that won't be put into your hand are on the bottom of your library, which is not where you want them. So it might be a bit of a mirage, really. Uh, this is like Ace King in uh, in a game of poker. Like it looks really nice, but sort of does it actually do anything that's not already happening elsewhere? I mean, it's hard hard to say how many draw spells uh, is is too many in a deck like this. I don't. I'm not sure if you would play if they were printed more thought costs uh, like a. Uh, thought cost with just another name would you play 12 cost then and if they printed even more would you play 16 cost at some point you're just churning through your deck and that is what this like deck is built to do with side to like take advantage of it and but uh, eventually you're going to put a threat on your board and then you just want to draw your disruption and uh, like overwhelm the opponent so and this doesn't find the force of wills it doesn't find the ursa saga 
which is the main threat. So yeah, it finds Chalice and it finds uh, Thought Monitor, and that's that's really nice. And if you get two baubles out of it, I guess you draw two cards later. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to test it, I think, but I'm not really sure if it fits in that deck in the end. All right, uh, next one is a similar card uh, in some capacity. It's called the Reality Ship. It's a legendary artifact creature equipment jellyfish for one and a blue. That's a lot of words. It's zero four. <laughs> that's a creature type. Yeah, yeah, that's a creature type. So, so like, right, you can search this with a with a Stoneforge Mystic, <laughs> which is really fun. So, it, it, when it's on the battlefield, it says you may look at the top card of your library at any time, and as long as the reality ship is attached to a creature, you may play land lands and cast spells from the top of your library. And the reconfigure cost is blue and two. So that means that you change it from being a creature to being an equipment and equip it to a creature. And if the creature would die, it falls off and becomes a creature again. So it's it's kind of interesting because it it when it attaches to a creature, it builds a future site uh, for you. And uh, like similarly to to like the reality heist, I think a future site effect can be quite powerful in a deck which plays a lot of zero mana artifacts like baubles, petals, and uh, mox opals. So I'm going to try this in eight cast as well because like when it's not attached, it doesn't really do anything. But you have a lot of tokens to just attach it to, and as soon as you do, maybe you can go off and draw a lot of cards and uh, without actually drawing them. So. Uh, th this one will certainly churn through your deck and and find those forces or find those uh, Ursa Saga that you're looking for. The flex slots. The flex slots. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 really interesting as well. Like uh, with a card like this, you can also play around this card pretty pretty well with bubbles. Like if you're playing against, uh, I don't know, like maybe you know that the force is on top and you don't want to draw it uh, like right away. You might want to bobble into it yeah. or stuff like that to protect yourself against some discard or whatever. But it's extremely sweet when when the like attached creature dies, that it just becomes a creature again. I think that part is really cool, and I'm glad that it's only reconfigure as a sorcery because else like, okay, I'm gonna sort the plowshares your reality ship, and you're like, I'm gonna instant speed attach it, and now it's like your illegal target. <laughs> Oh. So I'm I'm pretty happy about that because there's another card list that we might get to that would have been extremely freaking powerful with that effect. But yeah, cool card for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely enjoy this. And what do you think, Victor? Yeah, I don't have anything. Yeah, I don't have anything to add, sort of play analysis wise. So I just think that we can once more sort of ponder a bit on Tesseret. Sort of, yeah. Hang on, I'm just gonna equip my jellyfish ship. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't understand how they get this one together. Like this is, it's a ship, but it's also a jellyfish, and you attach it where? Like it's um, <laughs> it's, it's hard to grasp. Like <laughs> it's also insane if you look at the card. If you look at the type, the legendary artifact creature, something something jellyfish. It it rarely f it it barely fits on the on that line. Like, look at the card. It's <laughs> insane. It's it's so crammed together. Yeah. <laughs> when I read it the first time, I was like, where are my binoculars? But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fun. 
So my final card is actually an upgrade uh, from a card that I've been talking a little bit about on the cast before. So in Modern Horizons 2, there was a card spoiled that has the name Blacksmith Skill, which is a uh, white instant for one white that protects a permanent from being targeted. If I remember correctly, so so I was really into this card uh, to play in uh, Turbo Depths because it can both counter uh, wasteland on your depths and a plow on your merit, so it sort of protects both phases of your combo. And now we have an upgrade to that card, in my opinion. In Tamius Safekeeping, it's a green instant for one green mana. And target permanent you control gains hexproof and in and indestructible until end of turn. In you gate gain two life. So this one gains you two life, which is I mean it's not a big thing. It's a little thing, but little things do add up sometimes. But more importantly, it's a green card, so it's much easier to cast, especially cast from a spirit guide, which is super sweet. So. I'm not sure if this has any room in the Turbo Depths deck, but if you want this sort of effect, I think this card is really good at protecting both Merit Lage from, from different kind of uh, cards that will interact with it, but also protecting your combo from Wasteland. So that's really cool. Any thoughts on this card? Yeah, it's a, it's a straight upgrade from the card you played for me. And just uh, the small class, like target permanent, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's a really good card. And like we talked about on the last episode with your Turbo Depths, uh, like deep dive, certain really specific cards that are really good at protecting your game plan, which is killing them with Marit. Like it's, it's a very good card. It uh, protects Marit from everything pretty much. And it's just solid. And the two life, like it's just uh, the extra spice on the end. It's a good card. I, I definitely like it in this. Yep. And it, it's also, it's it, this is a common. <laughs> like, uh, for one green, this is what you get for one green in 2022. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm really glad green is finally getting something. Right, Victor, what do you have you been looking at? Well, first off, of course, I've been looking at the number one Death and Taxes card. Uh, as you know, whenever a set is spoiled, the Death and Taxes community are always like, wow, look at this white creature that has a low mana cost and does a thing on entering the battlefield. Is it playable in D&T? Yes or no? And with this one, I think we have a yes going on. So I have Lion Sash, one and a white for an artifact creature equipment cat. Power Toughness 1 1 has the text white. Exile target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent card, put a plus one plus one counter on Lion Sash. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on Lion Sash. Reconfigure 2. So two colorless to reconfigure. And I think that's uh, a key part here. This will fit probably a creature slot in Death and Taxes, not an equipment slot because it's a creature that can actually do some things on its own works as a uh, sort of white type of scavenging ooze card and uh, will work as that regardless if it's equipped or not so i think it's gonna go in the in the creature slot and it will buff the creature it attaches to 
if it's reconfigured onto it, which I think is nice. This is an effect that Death and Taxes sometimes will need. I think it's going to be a uh, perhaps not an auto-include to begin with. We have to sort of try this out, but I think that this can become just a mainstay because you can find it both with your recruiters and your um, Stormforges. So it's it's always going to be accessible as well. What do you think, guys? Yeah, this card is sick. We mentioned you did a comparison with Scavenging Ooze, and I've heard I've heard that comparison a lot. And uh, you know, not gaining life, sure, whatever, but getting plus one plus one for any permanent is crazy good. So it's just like a lot of times when you're like a lot of people has played against Scavenging Ooze. They're like, yeah, I'm just gonna eat some random things. Do you have any creatures? No. Okay, I'll eat some fetches. This will grow if it does that. So it's it's a really good just mana dump. And then if you're scared of removal eventually, you can like reconfigure it onto a creature and uh, you know, killing it, uh, killing the creature doesn't really solve the problem. Like a terminus doesn't solve the problem and uh, neither does like a sweeper. So I think it's a super cool card and it's also one of those things, if if a graveyard center deck gets a slow start, this is a nightmare. Like if they're sitting with with an untapped Stoneforge and free mana, it's just man, what can I go for? I think this is a cool card. I think it it doesn't it doesn't take a, a equipment slot because the, all the equipments are bangers in that deck. But like I can definitely see in an especially in an eighty card version, just take one of the cards out of there thing though is that in the 60 card version of the taxes this card becomes an actual reliable other vial card as well because you can naturally draw it and you are, have a high chance of having an other in play and if you have untapped mana in response to their graveyard shenanigans you just vial this one in and activate it because the the exile effect doesn't have any type of summoning sickness and speaking of the activation cost being a single white that i'm thinking is Probably what could be a bit of a challenge because Death and Taxes plays more colorless uh, mana producing lands than sort of one would think from a monocolored white deck. And that's why I was happy about the reconfiguring cost being two generic mana essentially, because then you can use your uh, use a wasteland and a port to equip it or reconfigure it. And then you have access to your white mana to, to go to town. So I, I think the vial trick as well, that's going to be uh, interesting. Yeah, and I think if you play like a, a fair deck in today's meta and you want to beat up on, on not only combo decks but also other fair decks, you want a little bit of graveyard hate in your main deck because if you if you are going to fight against like the good stuff decks, you're going to have to beat Uro eventually and just removing it from the graveyard for plus one plus one counter is, is a really nice thing, not having to board into surgicals or other things that like deal with it more permanently. This is a nice way of dealing with it. And also against Delver, just uh, like uh, taking the Dragon's Rage Channeler out of its furious state by exiling a bauble or something like that is also really cool. And every time I've been playing against Scavenging Ooze, back in the day when it was played a lot, it was always huge, a huge creature that you had to deal with. And uh, like making this one huge will be even easier since it gets counter out of fetch lands and whatnot. And then you're slapping it onto your like flip, Flicker Wisp or something like that and you have a evasion on it. I think it's going to be a real good beater as well in Death and Texas. So like I, I think it's a real good card for that deck and and possibly for like Stoneblade decks as well. First you get to eat their loam and then they come for your land. 
<laughs> no, yeah, I mean, uh, eating things in in land stacks, uh, I think that can be something Death and Taxes probably wants to do, and then lands might start need to play a lot more punishing fires again, and the circle goes round and round. We eat those two. No, exactly. So for my second card, I only have two because you guys uh, took the most of the the shiny ones. This is not a realistic assessment, more of a hope. Jingitaxia's Progress Tyrant. Five blue blue for a legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. Five five. Reads, whenever you cast an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. The ability to trigger is only once each turn. A copy of a permanent spell becomes a token. Whenever an opponent casts an artifact, instant or sorcery spell, counter that spell. This ability triggers only once each turn. So, this is of course um, to be used in some sort of situational sideboarding in Reanimator, uh, where I'm thinking you can have a Christmas lands feeling that you at some point want to entomb and you get to entomb twice and then you want to exhume and then you get to exhume twice or um, you know stuff like that you want to um, cast faithless looting get to do it twice although like once you've got to the point where you have a jinky taxes in play you've already put a gristle brand in play previously and to close out the game you probably have other resources that are more efficient in doing that uh, so that's why I'm saying this is probably not going to sort of make the cut, but I think it's an interesting card, and I have a very, very soft spot for Jingitaxias in my heart. And I'm thinking that since Jingitaxias is showing up in this set, and since there is a Tamiyo Planeswalker that has Phyrexian mana attached to it, I think this is a foreshadowing that we are finally going to revisit the Phyrexians, which are the absolute coolest creatures or uh, the coolest entity in uh, the Magic Gathering lore. So I am happy about that. What do you think? I mean, I'm a resident of Christmas land. <laughs> I live there a lot. <laughs> uh, magical Christmas land. And one thing that I'm not really sure about how it works with this card. So it says whenever you cast an artifact instant or sorcery spell, copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. If I read it correctly, it, it must be must it be the first thing that you cast, or is it that it only the effect can only happen once, or is it the first thing you cast? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Whenever, yeah, it's the first time you cast an artifact instant or sorcery. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's that's a shame. <laughs> like if you could have just sat on that and just dug a little. I'm thinking about you know some extremely greedy builds of maybe high tide or something like that you're mm. like oh and now i'm gonna use this ability it would have been super sweet but yeah i i also have a soft spot for jingitaxias before reanimator got all of their buffed cards uh it it used to show up quite a bit and it actually did show up online in a challenge uh or if it was uh, i think it was a challenge this weekend it uh performed quite well with Jingit Axias, uh, like the old one. Always happy to see that card. It's the Hullbreacher effect, but uh, <laughs> Hullbreacher and Days Undoing in one, pretty much. I mean, I like the second clause a lot, because it sort of acts like, uh, 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 like closes the game real fast. Because 
like first you can thought seize, and that thought seize becomes two thought seize. And then your opponent is, uh, I mean, th this is what happened when reanimator goes off, right? They shred your hand, and then you are like hoping for that one spell that you can top deck. But this this one just nullifies that chance and just counters the first spell that they play. But I I guess that like there are already cards that does similar things better for just like ending the game. I'm I'm thinking about like uh, Shield of Emeria and uh, the new Archon that that are just like putting end to all the hopes very fast. Yeah, yeah. So I I guess that this sort of effect is not really needed, but like it 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 would fill that role, I think. Yeah, I mean we'll see we'll see how soon how soon it's Christmas, I guess. <laughs> I mean I yeah. always keep uh, I always keep a collection of uh, a playset of of Jingitaxias in in my binders, you know, just to make sure that if he's ever needed, I can uh, whip him out in the shake of a lion's tail. So, uh, Victor, since you're a big fan of Jingitaxias, have you seen the new spell pierce? I have not. All right. So it's it's uh, super cool, and it looks like Tamio is trying to spell pierce something uh, that a Phyrexian is doing. Maybe it's uh, Jingitaxias or something, but the Praetor or Phyrexian in this in this scenario definitely pay the two and the art kind of shows that and the the flavor text is just perfect so it's like for all their planning tamio and kaito were unprepared to face the full power of a phyrexian praetor wow jingitaxis paid the two it, it's like they had the ritual to pay right they, they had only man one man up and they spell pierce and look really smug and then they they tapped the, the swamp for for a ritual and just paid the two that's what it looks like yeah or the spell pierce got countered due to jingy taxes second ability but it's super flavorful when i saw that i was like man that's nice i'm going to have to read up on whatever story involves tamio and jingy taxes because i have not got the sense that this is a thing that goes on based on the earlier visual spoilers i just thought we were in sort of blade runner akira kamigawa let's go ninjas and uh, shadows and whatnot Every, everything is just blue and black by the way like <laughs> the entire set is just painted in ninja colors blue black or neon <laughs> yeah which which i uh, and neon is obviously a new foil uh, method for, for for magic cards and i'm liking that but this is something that mm, this picks my interest thank you for highlighting that for me christopher and that is all we have for this week we hope you enjoyed the episode if you have kamigawa neon dynasty cards that you think that we missed or if you disagree with our assessments uh, feel free to get in touch over the discord server you can find a link in the episode description if you like the podcast feel free to let us know if you want to tell us that but also uh, even better tell someone else so that they can find it as well in listen to the discord you can hit us up on twitter at sthlm legacy we are also present personally on some social media as well. Robin, where can our listeners find you? On the Discord server. You can also find me on the Discord server or at my Twitter handle, which is mmonolithmtg. And you can find me on Twitter as well under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 36th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm thank you for listening. The Fantastic Frannes has written our music. You can check them out on Spotify. Until next time, kawabanga!